You know what it feels like to be conned or tricked or schemed or scammed. Um, We all know this because it's happened to us all one time or another. And if you're sitting there right now thinking to yourself, no, not me, um, um, it's because they got away with it. Or you've got a really big one on the horizon, you know, it's coming up. Everybody knows what it feels like to be tricked, cheated, scammed, bamboozled. We all know what this is like. Sometimes there are little ones, you know, like the shell game somebody plays with you and you don't, oh, I can, couldn't quite figure out which one that was, you know. Or, or sometimes they're a little bigger, a little more painful. You overpay for a car or you overpay for a car repair or, or some sort of thing like that. Um, then there were the big ones, you know. When you invest in that can't-miss opportunity and it misses, you know, um, that's a really painful one. Uh, when you give your heart to that boy or girl and they promise they'll love you forever and then they don't, you know, that's a big painful one. Um, we've all kind of had that feeling of, of having been cheated or, or you know, scammed or, or, or somehow kind of taken advantage of. And, um, and when it happens, you, you know, you, you know what it feels like and you know that you even question whether it was it a scam all along, you know. There's a story of this fellow, his name was uh, Victor Lustig. Uh, Vic, Vic, can you say that? Victor Lustig. Vic, Victor was born in the late 19th century um, in Bohemia, what later became the Czech Republic. And around 1920, um, he immigrated to the U.S. and he had become the master of the short con. He, um, he once went to buy a repossessed property from a bank and he took uh, bonds to purchase this with. And through a sleight of hand, he purchased the property and took his money back in the same event. And so he left with the property and the money. He was caught about uh, a week later uh, by the police, and, uh, and they were holding him, and somehow managed to even talk his way out of that, and they let him go. Then in 1925, Lustig traveled to Paris. He goes to Paris, and uh, upon arriving in Paris, he picks up a newspaper, and he sees that the Eiffel Tower is in such bad disrepair that people are, are calling for it to be torn down to get rid of the Eiffel Tower. So he forges some documents to make himself look like a city official. And he goes to a scrap metal dealer. And he tells him that he works for the city. And for the right bribe, he would be willing to give him the contract to tear down the Eiffel Tower. After all, it had been in the news. Everybody had read about it. The man was, what sort of bribe would it take? This is 1925. $200,000. But the money that you would make from the scrap metal will be, it would be you know, probably nearly a million. It, it's a good deal. The guy thinks about it for some while and then says, all right, and he pays him the $200,000 bribe. Lustig takes off. He's out of town. The guy shows up at City Hall with his contract, and it's a complete scam. He sold the man the Eiffel Tower. I mean, that, how crazy, right? Well, the guy was so embarrassed about it that he wouldn't even go to the police. Lustig shows back up in Paris a month later and runs the same con on a different guy. He sold the Eiffel Tower twice. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I mean, you hear that person like, if you believe that one, I've got a bridge I'll sell you. Or a tower, you know, we'll sell you anything. Um, This is what happens, right? I mean, we can be conned because we're all susceptible to it. Here's why we're susceptible to the con. We long for security. We want to feel safe. 
And it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, for pe- different people, it's different things. You know, for some, it's money. I, I, I need money to feel safe. For some, it's, it's notoriety or fame. I need to be well-known and well-liked to feel safe and secure. And for others, it's, it's love. I need, I need to, to have that sense of, of closeness and relationship. If I have this, then I'm secure. What the con artist needs to do is find our weak spot. When they find the weak spot, then it can be exploited. We can be, we can be bamboozled quite easily, in fact. We have this longing in our heart. And when somebody finds that, if they're not, if they're not a person of, of, of good scruples, then, then we can be cheated. And that's why we've all been tricked at one point or another. And if you read in the Gospels this morning, if you noticed, Jesus is walking in the temple, in the portico of Solomon, and the people of Jerusalem, they feel their gullibility. They, they, they feel their, their, you know, the need to, to, to affirm and to make sure that he is who, he thinks, who they think he is. And so they say to him, did you hear it? They, they, how long will you keep us in suspense? Tell us plainly, <laughs> straightforward, give us the word. Are you the Messiah or not? Are you the Messiah or not? No more double talk, no more tomfoolery, <laughs> no more shenanigans. Just give it to us straight. Are you the Messiah? I think this language that, uh, that John uses for the people, um, how long will you keep us in suspense, is, is really interesting. What he literally says is, how long will you raise our souls up? How long will you hold our, so- our souls in the air? I mean, this is an idiom, this is a, a, you know, an expression like we use, you know, like we were waiting with bated breath, right? Uh, you know, to, we don't really wait and hold our breath, but it's almost that sense of when you really have this anticipation that, that you do kind of have a shortness of breath. And, and, and so he said, how long will you hold us? How long will you move us? Here's another idiom. To the edge of our seats. Tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? There's another little interesting bit in, the, in this passage that John tells us. He tells us that it was at the Feast of Dedication. This is Hanukkah. It's a, it's a, it's a wintertime scene. It's, it's Hanukkah time. And if you have some Jewish friends, you know that, um, that Hanukkah is an important celebration. It's not just an alternative to Christmas. It's not so Jewish boys and girls can get presents too. That's not the point of Hanukkah. There's a big, Hanukkah is, you know, it goes back to uh, 165 BC and the, you have, um, Judas Maccabeus, this famous Jewish warrior who freed Jerusalem from the hand of the Syrians. He, he drove an, an occupying army out of town. Jump forward to the time of Jesus. Again, another occupying force, this time the Romans. The question to Jesus, are you the Messiah or not, I think has a subtext. And that subtext is, are you the one to deliver us from Rome or not? I've told you, he says, and you do not believe. In fact, he says this in the present tense, you are not believing. It's not like you just didn't believe back when I told you. You still refuse to believe. You are not believing me. I told you and you are not believing. You refuse to believe. What would have convinced them? I'll tell you what would have convinced them. War. Go to war and then you'll show us that you're the Messiah. War against the Romans. Drive them out. Show us what a mighty warrior you are. Then we'll believe. This is why Jesus says to them, My sheep hear my voice. 
My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. He, he jumps back to a tried and true metaphor in, in, in Israeli and Jewish uh, spirituality. The, the metaphor of shepherd to sheep, right? And the shepherd is, is this one who leads the sheep. And, and so this works in, in, a, in a very uh, concrete way. People have seen, you don't have to be a shepherd to know what shepherds do. Uh, there are shepherds all over Israel. And so even those people who live in cities know the way the shepherds work. I perhaps have, have told you this story. Um, a, a professor friend of mine was telling me a, t- a story about a time when he was in Egypt. He was in Cairo, Egypt. He said, I'm in Cairo. I'm at a McDonald's in Cairo which I kind of wondered what that would have been like. But I'm at, I'm at McDonald's in Cairo. He said, and it's on this big highway. There's eight lanes of traffic out in front. And he said, it's crazy in Cairo. There's just cars everywhere. And if you've ever traveled anywhere in Africa, people drive like this. They drive with, with one hand on the steering wheel, one hand on the gear shift, and one elbow on the horn. I mean, this is the way it goes, you know. So there are cars everywhere. He says, and here comes this man with 50 sheep. And he takes 50 sheep across eight lanes of traffic through all these cars, honking, you know, and all the sheep follow him. He said it was the most amazing thing he'd ever seen in his life. My sheep know my voice and they follow me. When Jesus says this, everybody immediately knows this is what shepherds do. They train their sheep and the sheep know that the shepherd leads them to safety. The sheep know that the shepherd is their defense against uh, Predators like wolves and so on. I know them. I know them, he says. And they follow me. And I give them life. And they'll never perish. And no one will ever snatch them out of my hand, he says. I give them life. See, the contrast is between those who already feel safe in following Jesus and those who do not feel safe and think that the only way to security is war. The only way to security is war that leads to nationalism. If only we had a political leader who would do for us what we really need, then we would feel safe. That is somebody who has the right, you know, ethnicity, <laughs> the, the right religious background, the right religious commitment. If only we had that person in charge, well, then we would feel safe. Jesus is saying security is not found in the temporal. It is found in in the eternal. The sheep, they know that they cannot defend themselves against the cunning of wolves. They can only hold close to the shepherd and depend upon the shepherd to secure their their lives. What would it take for you to feel safe? I mean to feel really safe. What does it take to feel safe? My sheep Hear my voice, and they follow me. Do you hear his voice? Do you hear the voice of the Lord? Does he, do you know that he speaks to you? That he, he, he is your shepherd, the one who is your protector? Anne Lamont, this uh, writer, um, she was being interviewed at World Magazine. Uh, the, the interviewer was asking her about the quality of her spirituality. And, and she's a really clever woman. She, it, here's her answer, though. She said, I've never said that I'm a good Christian. I just know that Jesus adores me. And is only as far away as his name. I say, hi, Lord. And he says, hello, darling. He loves me so much. (laughs) Listen to this. He loves me so much he keeps a photo of me in his wallet. (laughs) If I were the only person on earth, he still would have died for me. 
She's someone who listens to the voice of the Lord, isn't she? I say, hi, Lord, and he says, hello. I speak to him and he speaks to me. This morning, the 23rd Psalm, did you hear the psalmist? The psalmist is a sheep, right? The Lord is my shepherd. He's a, he's a sheep. And he sometimes he leads me into green pastures and sometimes beside cool, still waters. And sometimes we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But even then, I will fear no evil. Why? Why do I fear no evil? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, this is the image of a sheep. You know, this little fluffy sheep. Imagine this big bad wolf coming after a sheep. What defense does a sheep have? It doesn't have claws. You know, I I doubt if it can, maybe it can bite. I don't know, but you know, it it has little teeth, you know, that are made for cutting grass, uh, cutting, eating grass, or cutting grass. They're made for eating grass. I mean, they're, they're defenseless. The only comfort the sheep has, the only security the sheep has, is that the shepherd carries a staff. And when the wolf comes, the shepherd will strike the wolf with the staff. He will defend the sheep. He will use this staff as a weapon. Of defense. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You even prepare a table. This switches the metaphor, right? Now all of a sudden he's a a wandering uh, uh, soul and, and, and wanders into the tent of a host. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. The poet knows that the good shepherd always defends the sheep. In the, um, the London borough of Bromley, there's this legend of this man um, who wears a mask. This is real. This happens like just recently and within the last few weeks. This man in Bromley uh, uh, of London, Bromley area of London, um, supposedly shows up and saves civilians just in the nick of time from all kinds of crimes. Uh, in one instance, um, a, a businessman is walking home from a pub late at night. Um, some young kids come out with knives and, uh, and they surround this businessman and they're, you know, threatening him, going to take his wallet, whatever. And out of the shadows jumps this, you know, grown man wearing a mask and, um, and tall combat boots and he starts hitting the, the teenagers and, and they all scatter and run away and he turns and in a gruff voice says to the businessman, now hurry home. And the guy does. And, um, and in another instance, uh, also in London, the same area, this young woman is attacked and, um, and as she's on the ground fighting to her assailant, oh, this, um, this guy with masked tall boots comes running out of the shadows, grabs the assailant off, throws a few punches at him. He gets up and runs, and, and he tells the woman, no, hurry home. You know? and, uh, and so this happened. They started calling him Bromley Batman because he sort of looks like Batman, and he's running around this sort of vigilante in, in London. The city of Exeter, 200 miles south of London, just two weeks ago, um, this, two women are walking to, a, uh, to their car um, through a car park in, in the city center, and, um, and one of the women is attacked. This man jumps out from behind a parked car and grabs a woman, and, and a few seconds later, the Bromley Batman, 200 miles from London, jumps out and, you know, uh, wards off the assailant, tells the women, now hurry to your car. And they do. And the police are trying to go through, and they, they like, compare the description of the, the fellow who was uh, the savior, and they say what... You know, he's just like the Bromley Batman, only, I mean, it's a long way from London. And so they speculate that he must have been on holiday. <laughs> Apparently, superheroes take vacations. Who knew? But he didn't take vacation, did he? Because he was still working, even that far away from home. 
listen, life is not easy for nobody, right? Life isn't easy for anybody. We, there's no promise that following Christ means that you get all the stuff you want. You don't see me, you know, driving a Mercedes, do you? I mean, it doesn't happen. You don't get all the stuff you want. Which maybe I want to buy one, then perhaps I will. But um, you don't get all the things you want. You don't avoid all the difficulties. There's no, there's no escape from heartache. There's no escape from, from difficulty and tragedy. There, there's, no, there's no escape from that. Here's the promise that in the midst of all the stuff that we have to face, that God in Christ will never abandon us. He will never leave us to face the world alone. Leon Morris, this Anglican uh, Australian scholar, passed away a few years ago. He wrote this. It is one of the precious things about the Christian faith that our continuance in eternal life depends not on our feeble hold on Christ, but on his firm grip upon us. It is one of the precious things of the Christian faith that our continuance in eternal life depends not on our hold upon Christ, but on his firm grip upon us. When I read that line, I could hear our old buddy Paul Thilo. Remember how Paul used to say, and to that we say, Amen, and that's what he would say. It is one of the precious things of the Christian faith that we don't have to depend on holding on to Christ, but that we depend that he holds on to us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.